Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, once again, welcome. So glad you're here. Now, next week, I'm going to bring a message that I've kind of entitled, How to Break a Curse and Receive a Blessing. And uh, when it comes to the subject of curses, uh, we are really pretty ignorant. I don't know if you realize this, but the book of Genesis, by the third chapter, you already have a curse. The last line in the Old Testament says, least I strike the earth with a curse. The last word is a curse. Right? Now, of course, Galatians 3 tells us that Jesus became a curse for us, that we might receive the blessing. Right? Now, it's going to be a great message. I want to encourage you to be here and uh, bring somebody with you. Well, today we're finishing. This is the third part in a series of messages on having a heart for the house or a heart for the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. And literally we are as believers to first seek the kingdom, right? to promote the kingdom of God. And the way that Jesus had us do it, he tells us right here, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells us to so let our light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, what Christians are to be known for is we're to be known for our good deeds and generosity, right? Now, the Apostle Paul is, is uh, helping a young pastor by the name of Titus, and he writes, Titus, excuse me, Timothy, he writes him a letter. Timothy's pastoring his first church, the church of Ephesus, uh, very large, very, very metropolitan, very prosperous city. And he tells him, now, listen, this is what you need to tell people. He says, you tell our people to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous to be extravagantly generous, all right? You see, what he realizes is that together, as the kingdom of God, as the church, right? Because the church really is to be the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the earth, all right? We can bring the gospel that will change people's lives forever, all right? The Bible tells us that our message, it is, it is the word that is used is gospel, all right? Now, gospel means good news, all right, that's what it is. If it's gospel, it's good news. You know, I've heard people say things like this. Man, we went to church and the pastor, he just gave it to us. He beat the tar out of us. You know what? That's not gospel. Right? Because if it's gospel, it is good news. Good news. You know, sometime back we had a group of uh, people from our church, young people from our church, they were witnessing downtown, right? Right outside of a gay bar. And a car came by. And they rolled down their windows. And they, they, they scream into the people going in. They're going, you're going to hell. Now, let me just tell you, that is not good news. <laughs> right? The good news is you don't have to go. That's the good news. All right? And in the gospel, it is always, it is good news. The Bible calls it so great a salvation. Reinhard Bonnke said that the church is the society for the propagation of the gospel, right? And what we need, 
What God needs is maximum effort from every single believer. So Paul, again, talking to Timothy, this is what you tell your church. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always ready to share. Right? Now, and he's actually talking in, in this portion of the book of Timothy. He says, now tell those that are rich. Now, of course, none of us think we're rich. Right? But let me just tell you something. If you live in America and uh, you, you are on food stamps, right? you are richer than 90% of the people in the world. Just to, to, to hit the top 1% is only $47,500 household income a year. Puts us at the top 1% of all income earners in the world. All right? Now, what we, what we are really is we're not good at being rich, right? We're really pretty bad at it. In fact, here's what, here's what study after study after study shows, right? First of all, that our, in our society, as our society has become richer, we have become less and less generous, right? And in, individually, the more you make, the less generous you become, right? Now, the Bible tells us to do the exact opposite of that, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, it says that God's going to bless you. And this is why, so that you can give away more and more. Why does he bless you? So you can give away more and more. So as we are more blessed, become more prosperous, we should be giving more and more. But statistically, the exact opposite happens across the board. As people make more and more, they write checks with bigger numbers, but the truth is that it's a smaller and smaller percentage of their income. Now, just a week or so ago, I was reading a, a book by Mark Batterson, Mike, excuse me, Mark, Mark Batterson, and uh, he had something in, in here that I wanted to share with you. He said, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than millions of people who may not even survive the week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are better off than 500 million people in the world. If you can attend a church meeting or not attend one without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank or in your wallet or spare change in a dish someplace, you rank among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you can read a book, you're more blessed than 2 billion people who cannot read. So we should count our blessings and remind everybody else how blessed we are. Right? Now, what has happened in our society is generosity has really taken a hit. And I think in part of it, it has to do with the advertising industry, right? That constantly telling us what we don't have and what we have to have. You got to have the right car. You got to have the right clothes. You got to have the right shoes. You got to have the right toothpaste. If you do not have the right toothpaste, your life is bad. Right? So we just got to, we got to, you know, they're, they're trying to create this, this hunger on the inside of us. All right? But it is a very, very disturbing trend. And where it should stop and where it should begin to reverse is with the church. That's where it should start. Right? So because we're not good at being rich, all right, we, we need to say what, what, what is it really that would make us change? 
Right? Now, I want to talk to you about that. But first of all, let me just remind you of this story. Jesus is sitting in front of the temple. He has his disciples with him. And they're watching people as they give gifts as they enter the temple. And it says that a lot of rich people come by and they give large sums of money. And then a poor widow comes and she puts in two mites, which is about a half a penny. And Jesus says to his disciples, stop that woman and give her money back. I mean, that's what we want. That's what we think. But this is what Jesus said. He commended her. He did not, he didn't stop her. He didn't say you're bad for doing this. This is wrong. He commends her. And this is what he says. He says, she has given more than everybody else. Because everybody else gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had. Now, God looks at percentages, not at quantities. So this is what it means. It means almost always poor people give more in God's economy than rich people. Because God doesn't look at the amount, he looks at the percentage. And and, uh, I realized this many, many years ago because there were times when we were giving and I thought, well, it doesn't really make a difference. But in God's economy, a half a penny can be more than $10,000. It's not the amount, right? It's the percentage that God looks at, right? So, Christians should be known for their generosity and for their compassion. In fact, if you look at the first centuries of the church, that's what the church was known for, generosity and compassion. We actually still have one of the letters written by a Roman, uh, Roman emperor, and uh, there were plagues that were taking place in the Roman Empire. And of course, the plagues were always the worst in the large cities. And all the Romans that were able, if you were wealthy enough to get out of the city, you would get out of the city. And so this Roman Empire emperor, he's writing, and, and he says, you know, we are trying to stamp out Christianity. He says, but the Christians, he said, they not only take care of their own sick, he said, but they take care of all the sick that the Romans abandon and run away from, from. He said, they're taking care of everybody. And he says, and the result is, he said, that more and more people are turning to Christianity. You know what Jesus said? He said, they'll know you're my disciples because of your love. Because of your love. The early church was known for its generosity and for its compassion. You know, pagan religions, they cared nothing for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans, for the downtrodden, for the oppressed. You know, all the first hospitals were started by Christians. All the first orphanages were started by Christians, right? Why? Because that's what Jesus taught us to do. And not only did Jesus teach that, but Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist also taught the same thing. And he taught it very, very strong. Now, one of Jesus' disciples is Luke. Now, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor and also a little bit of a historian, right? And uh, he says that he, he, he studied everything that happened, not only because he was there, but he talked to others as well. As one of the disciples, he was right there. And he puts together his account, and we refer to it as the Gospel of Luke, right? Now, he starts very interestingly, not with the story about Jesus, but the story about John the Baptist, right? Now, John the Baptist is not just a a biblical 
figure. He's a historical figure, right? The, the great historian Josephus talks about John the Baptist. The Koran even talks about John the Baptist, all right? And so Luke begins his gospel, and this is what he says. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Jesus is coming. This is the greatest event that's going to happen in human history until Jesus returns, all right? And he says, behold, God says, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the Baptist is coming and he is going to prepare people to receive Jesus, prepare for something great that God is going to do. Right? That's John's, John's mission, make the way for the Lord to come. So he goes out in the wilderness, down by the Jordan River, and he begins to preach, not in town, but way out of town. And the Bible says, when crowds of people came out for baptism, because it was a pop popular thing to do, John exploded. Right? I love that message Bible. John exploded. John is furious. He, he ought to be happy. All right? The people are coming by the thousands, but John explodes. He says, you brood of snakes. Now, how many of you know that's not the best way to win friends or influence people? You brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skin is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change. It's your life that must change, not your skin. So don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being children of Abraham is neither here nor there. The children of Abraham are a dime a dozen, and God can make children for Abraham from these stones. Right? So he's saying to them, look, your life needs to change. Which you're, the way you're living, what you're doing is not right. If you're going, to, you're going to be ready for God to do something great, your life needs to change. And don't look at your spiritual heritage and say, well, my parents this, and I'm a descendant, and my family's been in the church. And No, he says, none of that matters. Now, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, now, now pray about this. Right? Or just go study. Because what we think is we think that what we know makes a difference. But what John said to them, it's not what you know, it's what you do. Right? It's not what you know. Because we we're, 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 we're really get off on this, what I know, I know. But John says, your life needs to change. And if you know something, but you're not doing it, it does you no good. No good at all. So John says, your life needs to change. Don't talk about your heritage. New King James says, the ax is laid at the root of the tree. And every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, it'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. John says, you have to produce good fruit. So John is preaching and the people say, well, what shall we do? This is what they're saying. They're saying, John's right. John's right. You know, I know a lot of stuff, but I am far from God. And I need to do something. What do I need to do, John? What do I need to do? And John says, look, there needs to be evidence of this. You need to bring forth fruit. Right? So I thought it was interesting that John did not say what I would have said. I would have said, well, go to church and read your Bible every day. Pray and have a quiet time. Right? But that is not what John said. Right? And John 
is telling people how to get ready for God to do great things in their life. So this is what he says. He says, first of all, he says, if you have two shirts, he says, share with somebody who has none. Now, we have a hard time relating to this, right? I mean, you ladies, you go to the closet, you open the door, and you look in there and you go, I have nothing to wear. You have a hundred things to wear, right? We can hardly relate to, we'll just give a shirt away. I remember going to Russia in the late 1980s, right? And uh, we, we did some meetings in a, in a place there several days in a row. And I noticed how people wore the same thing every day. Right? Most people had one or two shirts. That was it. That was it. All right? And for them, giving something like a shirt was a big deal. And it was a big deal in this society. All right? And then he goes on. He says, has, you know, and anybody who has food should do the same. He says, now, if you've got food more than you need, he says, you should give some away. And in this culture, that was a big, big deal because food was scarce. You couldn't just go to the store. There was no canned food. There was no frozen food. Literally, the only thing that you could keep for any extended period of time was grain. That was it, right? And for them, giving food was difficult. But he says, you know, if you've got more than you need, you need to give. Now, here's what John's doing. John is changing the way that they think. And honestly, we need to change the way that we think. Now, listen, if I come up to most Christians and I say, what is Christianity? This is what people say. Christianity is a relationship with God. Wrong answer. If that's your answer, you just failed the course. You get a 50%. How many of you know 50% on a test is bad? All right, you get a 50% because you just gave half of the answer. All right, Jesus gave the full answer. They said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Listen, this is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, we tend to think that Christianity is just about a vertical relationship that we have with God. But that is not true. Christianity is also about a horizontal relationship. It's about people, having relationship with people, loving people, having compassion with people. That's what Christianity is about. That's what Jesus said. How many of you think Jesus is right? Come on. All right. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus is right. All right. He, he founded the church. He's the head of the church. All right. I like to think about it like this. Right? That, that Christians are like Legos. How many know what a Lego is? You buy them at Toys R Us. All right. Uh, if you're old, you think of uh, like Lincoln Logs, but that doesn't work, okay? So a Lego is created to connect on top and to be connected on the bottom, all right? And that's what people are, all right? Our, we're, we're to be connected on top, connected to God, 
right? But we're also to be connected on the bottom. We're to be connected with people, all right? We're to so let our light shine that people see our good works and give glory to God in heaven, to our Father in heaven. You see, you cannot be right with God and wrong with people, right? You can't, you can't be good with God and not be right with people. So then the tax collectors come to John the Baptist, right? And they say, what shall we do? Now, realize this is a shocker, all right? The tax collectors were the most despised and hated people in the entire Jewish country and economy, right? They were traitors because they were working for the Roman occupiers. But then they always overcharged and put it in their pocket, right? That's what they did, right? So the tax collectors come and everybody's surprised. Now, they were so hated that if you said to a prostitute, you're a tax collector, she'd, she'd be offended. She'd go, I'm a prostitute, but I am not a tax collector, right? You understand, this is how bad these people are, okay? These people are bad, all right? Everybody thinks of them as bad, all right? They're so bad that sinners will not associate with them. Right? See, there, there were the, the normal people of the day, then there were sinners, and then way down on the bottom are the tax collectors. So John, they say, what do we need to do? And John says, collect no more than is required. And they go, what? That's my name, Mr. Collect More Than Is Required. Have you seen my house, my car, my servants, my lifestyle? That's, that, that's what I do. That's my job, to collect more than is required. And he says, no, don't do what you can justify. Do what's just. Do what's just. If you want to be ready for what God wants to do in your life, he says, you need to be generous and you need to be just. Do what's just, not what you can justify. And then the soldiers come. Now, they're also hated. These are Romans. These aren't even Jews. They're part of the occupying force. And they say, what must we do? Now listen to this. He says, don't extort money. Don't accuse falsely. And be content with your wages. Now literally, you may not catch it right away, but every single one of these things has to do with money. And the reason is, how many of you know Jesus said that there's only one, there's one number one false God. He says, you cannot serve God and Money, mammon, all right? So he says, don't extort, don't accuse falsely, be content with your wages. Well, that is exactly what they did. They, 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 they would accuse falsely and extort, extort money. That's what they did. Now, Jeannie and I, it's been a number of years and, and there's been a lot of changes in the, the Mexican culture. But when we lived in Mexico, we lived there for seven years and we got pulled over a lot. Right. Now, when you would get pulled over by the police officers, um, this is what happened to us. And I, I thought about it. Uh, this happened every single time. Okay. They would tell us how much trouble we were in. They'd say, you did this. We'd say, we didn't do that. And they said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Right. And they said, now, this is, you're in trouble. He said, I'm calling a wrecker. They're going to come. They're going to take your vehicle. They're going to impound it, they're taking it down to Transito. He says, you're not going to be able to get it for three days, and it's going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But I am your friend. 
and I can help you right now, right here. All right? And that's, that's the type of thing that happened with the Roman soldiers all the time. They accused people falsely. They extorted money from them. All right? and, and again, he says, be content with your wages. He says, don't do what you can justify. Do what is just. He's saying, if you want to be ready for what God is going to do in the earth, great things God wants to do, be generous and be just. Do the right thing. Right? He said, that will, be, will prepare you for the coming of the kingdom of God. Right? And they said to John, are, are, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, no. He said, I'm just here to prepare the way for him. And again, he didn't say to do religious things. He said, be generous, be just. Because the evidence that our hearts are ready for God's kingdom to come is when we're generous and we're just. When we protect those that need protecting. Now Jesus tells a story about a good Samaritan. He says that the good Samaritan is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now in your Bible, by the way, every time that Jerusalem is mentioned, if you're leaving Jerusalem, you always go down. And if you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up. So the man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls among thieves. They beat him up. They steal all his goods and they leave him naked and half dead. And by chance, Jesus said, a Levite comes by and he sees that man and he passes by on the other side. And after him, a priest comes by and the priest sees him and goes on the other side and passes by. And then Jesus said, by chance, a certain Samaritan comes by. Now you remember this. The Samaritans and the Jews, normally they had nothing to do with each other. And there was just this hatred. And Jesus was trying to deal with the prejudice that was in that society. And he said, and that Samaritan saw him and he had compassion. He took the man. He bound, wound, wound, bound up his wounds. He put on oil and wine. He put him on his own animal. He brings him to the next town. He takes care of him at a hotel. The next morning he gets up and he goes to the innkeeper and he gives him two days wages. And he says, take care of this man. And if you spend more than that, you let me know. And when I'm passed by next time, I'll pay you whatever you spent. And Jesus said, which one had compassion? And they said, well, the one who had took care of him, he's the one who had compassion. And George Jesus said, go and do likewise. But there's three attitudes about life in this little story that Jesus tells. The first attitude is that of the thieves. And their attitude is this, what's yours is mine if I can get it. Then there's the Levites and the priest's attitude. And their attitude is what's mine is mine and you cannot have it. And then there's the attitude of the Samaritan. What's mine is yours if you need it. What's mine's yours if you need it. You see, that's the attitude that we're supposed to have. We're supposed to be generous, right? I want to ask you a question. I want to kind of get your, your, your view of how things are going on in, in your life and uh, how God's working in your life. If God answered your prayers, what would change? Okay. God answers all your prayers. What's going to change? Is your life going to change? And your family going to change? 
Or is the world going to change? For God so loved the, the world. You know, and, and he wants us to have that same heart, that same attitude, that we're concerned way beyond our life and our family, that we're concerned for the world. But a lot of us, our attitude is, you know, God bless me, my wife, our son, his wife, us four, no more, X24. I mean, that, that, that's kind of how we, that's kind of, you know, our, all of it is just about us. It's just about us. It's just about us. It's just about us. All right. And, and if God answered all your prayers and the only thing that would change has to do with you and the people that are directly connected to you, you know, you need God to work in your heart and in your life. Because God wants you and God wants me to have a heart that goes way, way beyond all right, our little life, our little family. All right? For God so loved the world. He loved the world. So Paul, again, he's writing to Timothy. He said, let them do good. Let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. A heart that goes way beyond our little world where we're connected. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friend. You know. When somebody does something, and a great sacrifice, you know, we can see the depth of their love clearly. And the measure of our sacrifice demonstrates what matters most in our life. It demonstrates our love, what we love, what we sacrifice for. Mother Teresa in the latter years of her life, became very famous. And usually when she would be out in public or even anywhere around in Calcutta, there were people that would follow her around. This is a true story. She was kneeling down and cleaning and bandaging a leper. And there were some tourists there, American tourists, young lady, looked at Mother Teresa as she was cleaning that wound and bandaging that, that wound that that leper had. And she turned to her friends and she said, I would not do that for all the money in the world. And this is what Mother Teresa said. She looked up, she heard her. And she said, I would not do this for all the money in the world either. But I'd do it for Jesus. I'd do it to show his love and his compassion because his love and his compassion is in my heart. That's the type of love, generosity, compassion, and justice that should flow from your heart and from my heart. And if it's not there, all right, I want us to take the advice of John the Baptist, the counsel of John the Baptist, and be generous. Be generous and be just. Be just. Reach out, have compassion on those that cannot take care of themselves. Well, as we've told you, my time is up. We're going to be receiving a special Heart for the House offering it's right now. Now, some of you are ready, some of you are not ready. If you're not ready, there is an envelope in front of you. Or any time in this next month, if you would either use this envelope or write on your check or on whatever envelope, put Heart for the House. It's going to go towards this, this offering because you've got a heart for the kingdom of God. All right. I just want to tell you a few of the things that this offering is going to be, going, to be going for. A lot of it goes to missions. 
Right? Over, the, over the last 30 years, we've given over $40 million to missions, $2.5 million this year alone. Right? This is going to be used for evangelism. It's going to be used for Bible schools. You know, you, re- recently you heard about the Bible schools that we've been helping in Cuba. You know, we've done this in, in Russia, in the Philippines, in Costa Rica, in Ecuador, in Guatemala. It's going to be helping orphanages the inner city ministry that for children that we have right here, church planting, getting people saved, new initiatives, paying for a building. Uh, you know, our television, well, right here, we have had 1,500 first-time decisions for Christ in the last year. You know, our television ministry, literally seen by millions and millions and millions of people in the 1040 window. You know, we support 60 ministries or missionaries that we have vetted that literally annually are planning hundreds of churches preaching the gospel. You know, as Paul was writing to the Corinthians, Paul wrote this. He said, you ask to see evidence that the power of the anointed one is at work. I tell you that you look at the track record of this church and there is evidence. But Joel is evidence. You know, he was living, he said, in deep darkness and doing wrong. He reached his lowest point and then lost everything. But one night, in desperation, he just got in his car and began to drive. And who knows how, but he ended up right here. Service was over. Two men sat down and talked to him. He prayed, received Jesus as Lord, and the next day he got baptized. Elizabeth is evidence. She said that when she started putting God first, she was freed from years of depression, fear, anxiety, and addiction. She says, it's amazing, but my past is gone and she's changed. That is evidence. Jason is evidence. Jason said, I went along with the crowd, partying, getting into compromising situations. But last year on November 16th, he said he gave his life to the Lord. And this year, in March, he was baptized. That is evidence. Ryan and Holly Johnson, they're evidence. They'd been separated. Their marriage was dissolving. But God restored their marriage. That is evidence. Jana Lee, she says she, she fell off the wagon in 203. Fell off the track, to use her words. But says in December of 2014, she says, I turned my life around. I received Christ. My entire life has changed dramatically. She says, life now has a whole new meaning, and I have a whole new quality of life. That is evidence. Sean grew up, this is what he said. He said, I grew up with a drugged out mother who used to prostitute herself for drugs. I used to be into selling drugs, drinking, and smoking weed. But now I've received Jesus, and I am free. You know, Sarah is evidence. Orion is more evidence. Hannah is evidence. Jared is evidence. Monica is evidence. Katon is evidence. Crystal is evidence. Carlson is evidence. Tara is evidence. Linda is evidence. Josh is evidence. Christy is evidence. Austin is evidence. Emily is evidence. Tony is evidence. Carol is evidence. Nathan is evidence. Leah is evidence. Joshua is evidence. 
Let me tell you, the blood of Jesus has not lost its power. It washes people's sins away, makes them new creatures. People are getting saved. They're getting delivered. Addictions are being broken. Marriages are being restored. Hope comes back into people's lives. Depression is broken. And God gives purpose and direction. There's evidence. God is alive. He's working. He's working. All right. And if you, again, if you're, a, if you're a part of this church, we want you to be a part. You know, God needs maximum effort from every single one of us. All right. That means praying. That means bringing people to church. But that also means giving. And uh, we're asking everybody pray and do something that is significant to you. Do something that demonstrates the fact all right, that your heart is in the kingdom. Do something, as John the Baptist said, that prepares the way of the Lord. Well, Father, we come again and we sow into your kingdom today. We sow, Father, so that people will be saved, delivered, marriages restored. We, pray, we sow, Father, so the kingdom of God will be expanded. And we thank you again that as we give, that literally millions of people are going to hear the gospel. And we thank you that you said that you'd open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.